Having a Gas is the podcast that talks to the great and the good of the creative industries, and in particular finds out what makes great music for film, for TV, for commercials, for dancing to, for cooking to, for f***ing to, and more. Today I'm having a gas with Katie Sumption, the new executive creative director at Atomic London. Katie is a rising voice for change in the industry, and she's keen to establish a cooperative and balanced working culture at Atomic, and to set a good example for agencies to come. Katie, how has the last six months been for you? Ah, uh, thank you. Yeah, it's been good. Um, I've only actually been with Atomic, I think it's like week eight, so it's all very new news right now. But um, yeah, really exciting, really exciting stuff. And I think just the industry as a whole right now, yeah, it's all gone a bit bonkers, isn't it? It's all uh, everyone sort of woken up, come out of lockdown and, and ready to do some amazing work. So exciting times. Yeah. We were just talking about this off mic a moment ago, actually, and you were suggesting that it feels like in the last few weeks, the the whole thing has just gone from a slumber to being really, really active straight away. How did you notice, was there like a particular week or something where everything just took off? Yeah, absolutely. I think, what was it, uh, April 12th was the, the key sort of government milestone. And I feel like the morning of April 12th, my email just went ding, 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 ding. Yeah. And then, yeah, all of a sudden, clients, you know, they want to be doing stuff now, yesterday, ready to go. Like, we've just launched our first um, global ad, a global campaign for Papa John's, but we did it in two weeks. So, like, from, from concept to final edit to full toolkit in two weeks. Um, wow. But, yeah, we've just got another set of briefs coming as well, but... Yeah, I think everyone's just excited, like good to go. And we've all sort of been stuck at home haven't we, for a long time. Yeah. We're willing and excited just to do some good work. We've been stuck at home at a time that has maybe been quite, uh, there's been a lot of business for a company like Papa John's. I know that I was, uh, I regret to say I frequented them more often than maybe I should have done for my own health during the lockdown, but nonetheless, really great. How was that? Just talk to me about that, that two-week process. How do you do something for a, a you know, a, a, a respected brand like that in such a short time? What was the, what was the process like? Um, do you know what? They've been brilliant, actually. And I think there's a um, the senior, the brand marketing director, Joe Bundle, she's got a real clear vision for the brand and really wants to progress around and push it forward. Um, so she, along with Lawrence, our other client, it's just been really cooperative and just, you know, had the trust in us to pull the right people together. Um, again, and find people that's just sort of got that joint ambition to just be super proactive. I mean, nobody slept for two weeks. Yeah, yeah, definitely. I, mean, I presume there was no weekends either. Oh, no. But that's, <laughs> good. that's good. We actually got out of the day uh, yesterday. So it was worth it. It was worth it. Brilliant. So it's all lighting up. And of course, um, this is, uh, you've re- you know, re- recently been in the helm as Atomic, as ECD. Um, but before that, I believe, I think this was the last thing you did. Correct me if I've not got your CV right here. I think uh, previous to that, you were one of the founders and uh, founding partners at the Elephant Room. Is that right? Yeah, that's right. Yeah. So I was there for about three and a half, four years. Um, and we really, yeah, I think what we wanted to do with Elephant Room, the guys are still doing an amazing job of, of carrying that on, is just create um, 
create an agency that is genuinely more inclusive, um, is looking for talent and collaborating with talent, not just from traditional talent pools or the same ad schools and trying to, you know, reach out and work with people who are really part of different uh, creative groups or different organisations uh, that's going to just bring something a bit different to the party yeah. and sort of get us all a little bit out of our London bubble. Yeah. Um, yeah, London agency bubble for sure. Um, that, that's something I was uh, last year I did having a gas with a chap called Steve Harrison who's written a fair bit about this and you know saying that there tends to be uh, you know once things have been going a certain way for a decade or two there, there's like a tend toward, tendency towards orthodoxy and like you say about talent pools we know that we're going to get people from Hounslow Watford and or you know the others and of course I, we both know many great people from those places so we're certainly not saying it turns out bad folks yeah. But but uh, I do know what you mean. I was often thinking, and Steve was thinking as well, it's like, how do we get people who wouldn't even think to come into advertising to bring their talent? Was that sort of part of the remit? Yeah, definitely. I think it's just trying to look at creativity in more of a purer sense and not necessarily um, creatives that have been trained in ad schools to think a certain way or this is a good way of thinking creatively or this is a bad way of thinking and just really foreign from different expertise and all different forms of creativity yeah whether it's in music or design or art or film or whatever it is really just trying to work with people who look at things a bit differently so you've got all different types of perspectives around the table that's always going to bring something fresh to the table I think it's always really important that you fill the room with people that you can learn from and that's both from people above you people not Blake's or on one level, but you know, around you, that yeah. it's sort of a shared that shared thing. Everyone's bringing something different to the party. It is, yeah, it is absolutely. I know, I know, I know the what's the word I'm looking for. I know the kind of behaviour that you're speaking uh, about, roughly there, which is to say that you know, uh, I think we discussed this with Dave Dye last year as well that. After a certain point, if the practice, the same practices are practiced, you end up with um, a kind of an imagination for knowing what an advert should look like. And you start to produce what you think adverts should look like. And then you start to get away from creativity, away from forward and new thinking. Yeah, and it's just not the world we're living in. Like, um, you know, when I first started out, and Facebook was a thing. <laughs> and I remember like RCDs and ECDs being to us like, what's this Facebook thing? Like, how does this work? How do we come up with ads and for that? But obviously there's a million different platforms and a million different initiatives, creative ways to use sort of like digital, social. Now, like you need people who are sort of living and breathing those platforms and innovative ways of working in those channels to keep us fresh, you know, yeah. and, and you know, creative thinking fresh all the time because things are constantly changing. Yeah, there's a, there's a real tension between, um, what would you say, the obsession with traditional format, as in, you know, uh, you know, we're trying to generate a big hero, TVC. People younger than me probably don't watch broadcast TV uh, that much. Uh, and then the obsession with trying to stay right on the cutting edge uh, at a point where very few people with disposable income are actually using the platform. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I mean, that's something that, um, you know, we pride ourselves on Atomic and really trying to make sure we land every time is, 
you know, through funnel uh, brand thinking, best in class brand thinking. So from every touch point, so from your, your big tele ads down to social activations or even in-store activations, making sure that you've always got that core idea there um, that's running through every single touch point. So, yeah, because it, it, it does tend to be one or the other. You do either try to get like a sort of flash in the pan, amazing moments of these beautiful, crazy ads that have their, their space for that moment online or sort of the, the tele ads that do the same but trying to get that all the way through the funnel that's our ambition really now that's re- that I, I see where you're going with that because we're talking about the joining up of brand building and, and activation itself and um I, I i sense part of what you were describing there is we, when we talk about big brand building activities now part of what we're left scratching our heads over is well, what platform does everyone use? Because the platform potential is so diverse now. Yeah, yeah, yeah absolutely. So it's how you're reaching different people through different platforms and making sure that that core thought is then adapted and used um, in the best way it can live in those spaces to reach the audiences in the best way as well. How do you how do you deal with that request? If I said to you now, it's, uh, you know, Katie, Atomic are the agency, you've nailed the pitch. Uh, we need you to produce something that's going to go on a 60-second cinema ad and is going to translate perfectly to a five-second YouTube pre-roll or TikTok. How would you get an idea that fits both of those? Is is it even possible? Yeah, I think it definitely is possible. Again, it's always like the core idea. There's different between like the core idea and the execution. So yeah, just making sure that you've got that, um, you know, that real insight, the human truth. I mean, obviously it's something we all talk about quite a lot, but it's so important that you you've got that as a start point, but being mindful when you're creating that you need something that's going to, you know, like in the longer form or telly or cinema, that's going to build up and you've got the crescendo moment at the end, but then obviously yeah. in social, we've got to go slap bang with that crescendo moment right at the start, hook people in and then let that play out. So yeah, I think it's just that mindful creation and, um, like always putting your ego to the side a bit with it. Yes. I feel like yeah. As creators, we always, we naturally, you know, want to create sort of longer form and lengthy stories and draw people in. Actually social, you've just got to go bang straight away, hook people in. So it's really just trying to be mindful of what's best for the platform first rather than what's best for our portfolios. I actually know what, I know what you mean there because I have a, a sneaking suspicion that at some point, all of us in the creative industries who serve a patron, all of us who serve commercial clients, we're all secretly thinking, yeah, 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 but I'm making a film here. I'm making my first motion picture. You know? yeah. And, and yeah, as you say, it's like, it's not really, it, you know, you have to, that's why there's such a big focus on side hustles, right? Because it's like, if you if you have to scratch that creative itch, which most of us do, obviously, you have to be able to put that in a compartment for outside work because you know, here, as you say, you run the risk of trying to make the work all about you so that you can say, look at what I did. Yeah, and it should always be what's best for the audience, right? You always want to create something that's going to connect, that's going to be really engaging, that's going to resonate and absolutely being as creative as you can be in those spaces to do that. But yeah, it's not about, it's not about you, it's about your audience. Yeah, yeah. And um, there are some, obviously, there are some shops, aren't there, that are careful not to overcredit things on 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 uh, things like campaign and whatsoever. You know, uh, not to put a hundred credits like it's as if it's a movie, and they just say this is by 
this agency so that you can sort of relieve yourself of saying, but when my name goes on it, it's going to, you know, it's going to be all about me. Do you know what? I actually think it's important to put everyone's name on it. I'm, right. I'm actually for that. Um, but I think, you know, I, I'm really for like really collaborative working. Um, you know, and sort of the culture we want to build is everyone's name goes on everything because we're sort of like one agency, one dream, one team. Yeah. And it's not about, you know, it's just this one person that's done everything themselves. It's about showing all the all the range of people, both inside the agency, but who we've worked with outside of the agency. So, you know, the people that we've brought in from freelance perspective or um, just a general sort of collaboration, make sure that they're getting the credit for it as well. So not just us as an agency is going, look how amazing we are. It's really to sort of show everyone that was like part of that process. Yeah, I actually, I, this is, um, that's a subject that's, been bothering me quite a lot recently as well which is you know the tension between cooperation and competition because yeah we're obviously in a competitive enterprise you are going to pitch against other agencies and um one thing i try to make sure we're keeping an eye on in gas is to make sure we're not competing internally trying to fight ourselves because then by definition you're losing some of the energy you could be putting towards you know steering the ship in the same direction yeah, uh, yeah, absolutely. You know, I've worked in um, sort of big networks throughout the years and within agencies where it's absolutely that. You're fighting against teams and you're spending like, you know, a portion of your time worrying about whether someone's going to steal your idea or not seeing your idea or, you know, fighting someone else rather than, you know, actually just helping each other and having a coffee with someone and, um, someone going, oh, you, you know, have you thought about checking out this director or this photographer or that line could work really nicely? And I mean, you start having a culture like that, everyone's just much happier and more creative and, you know, more excited about what's going on and coming to work with like a really positive attitude and, you know, just back in the place that they work because it's a nice place to work rather yeah. than you know, starting on a negative and sort of a bitter point of view and, yeah, I, I don't think you get, I personally don't think you get the best creative results by putting people against each other like that. Um, yeah. yeah, because that's it, isn't it? It's like ultimately, you know, uh, the question ought to be, how can we, let's imagine it's some, somewhere like BBH, I don't know, it's like, how can we yeah. win the pitch instead of kind of throwing, you know, throwing a sort of a ham bone into the pit and going, whoever whoever wins this gets to be the, you know, the shining star of the agency for this pitch or for this brief. Yeah, exactly. And I think the same with, um, you know, people that you collaborate with and freelance talent. You know, you think people worry about uh, giving credit to those people because they go, oh, then other agencies are going to steal them and blah, 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 and then there's that unique to us. But actually, I, I've found that if you're, if when you give those people the recognition they deserve and you acknowledge that word, that actually they stay really loyal to you and they want to work with you again and, um necessarily don't necessarily want to work with other agencies I've had that recently actually we've had a brilliant team in and then uh, they've gone somewhere else and then actually said they didn't want to work with that agency anymore because they were almost like too micromanaged or not um given that you know the credit they deserved on that work so is I guess it's it's just always trying to think about that value exchange like what beyond just here's your paycheck what's the experience people are getting when they're working with you and vice versa and just 
you know, everyone sort of being uh, grown up enough, I guess, to say, it's okay that you're going to go and do other projects. We're all right with that. We just really respect and grateful for the work you've done with us on this project and the outcome that we've, we've built at the end of it. Now, this is really interesting. I'm hearing a bit of a parallel between you and someone I had a chat with a few weeks back, Hermeti Ballerin, that mother. Um, and he was saying when, when he and Anna got to mother, they said, you know, we love this place so much. I never want to leave. I'll chain myself to the desk. And their kind of goal is to foster a culture within the uh, business where people wouldn't want to leave it. You know, yeah. not, for, not for like, again, you know, obviously there are commercial and financial uh, things to consider, but not just for, oh, well, they pay me more, so I'm going to go there. And is that the kind of, is that, would that be your ambition, do you think? It's like you want people to want yeah, to stay working yeah. with you. Absolutely. I'm over that's, um, yeah, the, our full-time people, freelance people. Yeah, you want to make it a, a place you want to work, not a place that you've chained people to the desk. Yeah. I think it's really important to be respectful of people's own personal goals and ambitions and projects and, you know, understanding that, especially younger um, talent, they don't necessarily want to work in the way that the agencies and industry has worked. So, you know, that whole sort of culture of like, be there at one o'clock in the morning or you're not doing a good job. Yeah. Um, you know, being respectful of people's time and understanding, you know, to the side hustles or people want to direct on the side or they want to try different things and actually that's making them better creative people anyway and it's making them happier workers and, um, yeah, I think, I think that's really important that we're always mindful that people have a life outside of work and actually the two sort of go a bit hand in hand. If you can have, like, happy people outside, you're going to get happy people inside. Now, that's really interesting because there's there's an element of courage to that. So it's it's as if it's as if you're saying, uh, or as if one could say, how can we best nurture the development of the individuals in our agency to get them to get them to the point where they actually could be so effective that they could leave and do their own thing? There's courage in that. It's like I'm going to potentially make us surplus to your requirements, and then maybe you know that would that would foster the kind of gratitude and the kind of reciprocity where, as you say, they would actually want to stay. Um, yeah, I don't, I, it's, it's, I'm interested to see how this plays out because like you said, this hasn't really been a philosophy that's been practiced thus far. And an additional complication is technology increases so fast now, develops so quickly, that um, when I'm, let's say, 50, I won't be able to say to the 20-year-olds, you need to do things the way I understand them because I've been through all this. My experience will be irrelevant. The world will not be like it is now. Yeah, I don't think it's irrelevant. I think um, you, you sort of like the core fundamentals will always be there. And the same with like creative thinking, like, again, like how, what makes a good idea? And again, like that connection with people, finding the human truths, finding those like really simple things that everyone's going to understand, like that won't change. That's going to be relevant no matter what age you are. How you execute things, yeah, whether it's through how you're doing stuff or what channels it's going to be on, et cetera, et cetera, that will change and develop. And there will be things when we're all old and wrinkly that we don't understand anymore. But again, uh, as I said, it is that that value exchange and um, no, being all right, being all right with not knowing everything, no matter what level you're at, always knowing there's more to learn. 
like and yeah. that's it, isn't it? You don't all of a sudden go, ding, finished, finished learning. I know everything now, checked out. Like it's going to co- constantly keep changing. So that's why you need to make sure you surround yourselves with people that know more than you, yeah. that are better than you, smarter than you, and yeah. keep growing. Which is frightening, right? And that's 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 interesting that you're saying that as the ECD because it's like saying it's making a commitment that you're not going to just hire people who you are going to outshine. Why would you do that anyway? It would make the agency weaker. Yeah, exactly. I mean, yeah, as an ECD, like, you want to build and help create a really amazing, happy talent that are going to do amazing work. Because otherwise, I mean, how stressful would that be as your job otherwise? If you've got people that aren't happy that you know, aren't bringing their best to the party and then you've got to redo everything. That's, that, yeah. there's no in that for anyone. No, you're absolutely right. That was another recent chat I had with Bjorn, Bjorn Bremer, who's the chief exec of Ogilvy, Germany, I think. And he was saying, he was saying exactly that. He was saying it's exhausting when you get really micromanage uh, CDs who want to do everything and they want to write every line and, you know, redo all, all the artwork and sit on every, direct everything. And, um, it it goes back to what you initially said about putting the ego first, that practice, doesn't it? It's like, it's all about my great creation. I'm the Don Draper of this agency. It's all about me. Yeah, exactly. exactly. Well, hopefully there is a general sort of uh, a change in the industry. And I, I, think there, I think there has to be because that, you know, the generation rising up now into our industry do not work like that and do not want to work like that and are actively choosing agencies that, haven't got that mindset. So we're all having to adapt. I mean, that's what we do in advertising, right? We're constantly adapting and changing as as times change as well. Yeah, absolutely. And you you know, you made a comment on the new talent coming into the industry now. But if uh, if if you'd be okay with it, I'd like to perhaps go back to when you were the new talent. And I'm not going to force <laughs> you to tell us when that was, because. Uh, you know, no one likes to say, but I would like to know a bit about how you got to where you are and how you got into the game and, and, and what what brought you into it. Yeah, it's funny because it just, like the industry again feels like a completely different place from then to now. Um, so I went to uni in sunny Preston, uh, which is... Uh, Two just UCLan like- grads right here. Oh yeah, of course. Yeah, UCLan as well. Um, yeah, the sunny, sunny always in Preston, right? Yeah. Um, but yeah, I think, you know, being like totally honest, so I'm basically from Brentwood in Essex. Most people know it for its towery vibes. Uh, no one in, no one I knew growing up was in advertising. Um, I didn't even know what it was. Generally, people sort of worked in the city um, and that, that was sort of it, really. It was sort of like bankers... So bankers, hairdressers, teachers, which are all obviously really, really great uh, professions, but nothing within like the creative realms. I didn't know anyone that did like a creative thing for a living, but I just loved drawing as a kid. So I was just, you know, I was just spent hours and hours sort of drawing away, sketching away. Um, and then I remember after I did my A-level, so I did like art, photography, sociology, I had no idea that I was at where, you know, where I was going, but obviously looking back, that was sort of like the perfect foundation for what I now do. Yeah. Yeah, filling out that UCAS form. Um, do you remember it? It'll be like, what are you going to do? It? 
Oh, uh, yeah, it doesn't bring back fond memories. Uh, but uh, yeah, I remember it well. The personal statement and clamoring for points and all of that. Yeah, again, too distant a memory for me, more distant than I'd like to admit. Um, but yeah, and then it just, it just fell out of creative advertising. I just thought, that sounds fun. Um, did zero research into where I was actually going to go to university. Ended up in Preston. But actually, I think it was probably the best thing for me. Um, and I think, like again, sort of being in my little Brentwood bubble, never really left Essex or London, and you know that was what the world sort of was for me at that point. Preston is so different, and so actually to go to like the north of England and um, yeah, j- just sort of see him, you know, live there for a few years and just sort of see what life is like up there for a bit, really just sort of burst that bubble, that Essex bubble for me, yeah. you know. Um, so from that, and I worked with um, a creative partner and we worked together for about 12 plus years called Francesca and she was from the Lake District. So she, yeah, she helped bring that sort of northern perspective as well. And people say that I've got a bit of a northern accent now and I, that's absolutely because of Fran. I hear it. I do hear it. <laughs> um, yeah, I went, I've gone from Essex to a bit northern. Um, but yeah, we started off our placements in Manchester mm-hmm. um, and I remember... Yeah, so Where was that, sorry? So TBWA was our first one. Um, yeah, in Manchester. So yeah, I remember we were just relentless. So we would just email like 50 plus agencies, just constantly keep an email and be like, can we get a book crit? Can we come see you? Please like, you know, and obviously we didn't really hear back from most of them. Yeah. But the ones that we did, we would just, you know, we would be on it and anything that they sort of said to us to change or tweak, we would just, you know, within the week, we'd have that completely done and then we'd go back again. So we just kept going, going and going with it. Um, yeah, we had lots of people tell us that we were absolute dog poo, basically. <laughs> <laughs> so you just had to keep going. You just had to, like, brush yourself off. And What was this like, going to see a sort of a, 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 a unimpressed CD? And then, no, no, no. Like Jack Nicholson in Batman looking at Vicky Vale's portfolio and going, crap. <laughs> Crap. Which, in fairness, I've still got that portfolio under uh, my bedroom at mum's house, and it is absolutely awful. I don't know why. <laughs> will you? Um, will you have the courage to scan it in and send it so we can oh, put it never. as overlays? <laughs> absolutely never. That that needs to get burned. <laughs> yeah. Um, but yeah, and then again, like we were just emailing agencies in London as well, and we went to a, a new blood. And then we got spotted there by uh, an agency called Billington Cartmel, uh, which is now a human. Um, but it was also Brave as well. So Billington's and Brave was one agency. So I was working across the two at the time. And then we, uh, we got a, a placement, like a three-month placement there against two other teams. So it, was, it was really like X Factor because there's only like one team that was going to win at the end of it. Uh, and we won it. Great. Yeah. I remember we just absolutely like slugged our guts out basically to get that job. Um, yeah, and do you know what? I think it was it was quite um, it was an amazing time, but it was actually looking back, it was quite a tricky time as well. And as I said, the industry was really really different back then to what it was now, what it is now. Um, so I think yeah, I think like the two sort of like creative girls would be like twenty one you know, going into the industry and into a very, very male-dominated space and sort of a lot of the sort of comments that we had and 
we sort of got told by someone who's you know not in the industry anymore that we'd sort of only got the job because we wore like low cut tops and short skirts and things like that and we we were so like heartbroken by it um drove us to do more and sort of had that sort of like you know you sort of need to prove yourself like why you're here and what you're doing um and I think as time has gone on things have changed and obviously there's the sort of big me too movement not that long ago but that has been a real sort of shift in our industry to you know a bit of awareness of that sort of behavior um so yeah I think it's I think the industry is generally a really exciting time now where people are really realizing the strength of female talent, female talent, the strength of diverse talent, the strength of collaboration. Um, I thought, yeah, I'm really excited to see like where the industry goes in the next few years. That's really, it's, 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 I can't find anything to say that isn't cliched, but you know, yeah. it's, it, I can't imagine what that would be like to hear someone say, you're not here for your talent, you're here because the actual talent will appreciate looking at you. A pretty dreadful thing to say. I'm no fan of sort of mob behavior or pile on culture, but I have found myself thinking more recently, it's like, it's probably a good thing that social media has maybe given people fewer places to hide with that kind of remark because... Um, I think it's a good it's a good principle to act as if everything you say actually matters, and if everything you say is going to be played back to you, you know, on Judgment Day, everything you say is going on the record. Because can you imagine it's like that would have just got lost in the fog when that was said. It's like no one would have ever known it, but now you would have been right on Twitter and said a CD or whoever it was just said this to me. Mm. No, yeah, absolutely, and I think um, that sort of comes with sort of time and Asia as well, and realizing I think when you're a junior team you don't know any different and you just sort of accept it and you don't want to rock the boat and you don't want to lose your job or anything yeah. like that. And I think as sort of time goes on, you become more willing to call it out. And I remember when I was um a few more years into my career, I had um one guy with who I used to work with who would always make an older guy that would always make like sort of inappropriate comment like jokey bantery sort of comments and I remember just saying once I was like someone yet had a daughter I remember just saying like someone is going to talk to your daughter in this way that you're speaking to me one day that's going to happen and I think actually that that really dropped the penny really dropped on that and we sort of ended it after that because I think it was like there, there just was this sort of like banterish culture and that, that was sort of all like seen as acceptable so you know it's taken a lot of sort of brave people to say actually it's not all right I'm not all right with this I'm here to sort of just do my job so I'm just gonna get on and do my job like we don't need to like let's just find something else funny instead yeah I mean there's pl- I mean there's plenty that's funny and that usually isn't it but um I think uh, there's probably a lot of I used to work. I used to work in a in a hospitality environment that was uh, entirely male. It was very much like Greece, you know. Check this out. There were two side by side restaurants owned by the same person. One was staffed by boys, and we all wore black and blue. One was staffed by girls, and it was pink, and it was called Libby's. Um, yeah, I mean, it was that's my hometown, and um, you know the 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 guys I worked with. You can imagine the kind of nature of those conversations. It was similar to what you were describing, and. 
part I noticed myself thinking it would be it would be easy. It would be if 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 one was that way inclined, that uh, you would think that's how I'm going to have to fit in. You have to speak like one of those people. But in my head, I know yeah. I'm not one of those people. And yeah. then you say it so so much for so many years that you become one of those people. And yeah. what's when your head doesn't matter anymore? Yeah, absolutely. And I think that's where it normally actually comes from. And not, you know, I don't think people half the time, more than half the time, actually have bad intentions with it. Just trying to fit in with the culture. And actually, if you can just put an end to that as a as a culture, then sort of it, you know eradicates that whole um, yeah comments breeding comments, doesn't it? Yeah. And so that was a what was it called? Uh, I forget the name of the agency you mentioned. Was it something brave? Yeah. So yeah, brave and brave and Billy, that, um Yeah, those those owners are no longer there. And I, yeah, I won't say who it was, but that, you know those individuals are no longer in the industry. So yeah. I think. The sort of like the end. We, I think, we just sort of came in towards the tail end of a certain type of culture that no longer, you know, is no longer there. Um, and so, yeah. what happened between there and here? All right. So yeah, we started there, um, and then we went to Iris. I like so, the. I like those people. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, Iris is brilliant. Absolutely brilliant agency. Um, we were there for about three years. You know, and really that is where we really learn our craft and our foundations and, you know, we pitched a lot and, um, yeah, just really, you know, just really became quite a solid team from that training at Iris. Um, you know, got a lot of respect for everyone who's there. Um, and then we then went from there to an agency called Jam, which was like the social digital part of WCRS at the time, part of Engine Group. Absolutely bonkers. I loved it. What so, was it like? Uh, something out of a rolled doll book or something? It was just the most experimental place I've ever worked. There was never, ever, and you never got a brief that said, this is going to be a film or this is going to be a social post. It's like, it was like, what is it? You tell us what this is going to be. Oh, yeah. This, yeah, it was just brilliant. It was like a creative stream, really. It was like, this, this client has got X problem. What can you do to solve it? And it could be anything. You know, yeah. we built um, we built like DVD firing guns for Sky, <laughs> we built, like Instagram activate like jukeboxes for Next. And they, they were really, really at the forefront of um, sort of like influencer culture. It was like when this was first sort of coming out that half the creatives, so they had like a creative lab and sort of the creative team, but the creative lab were genuinely all like top influences without people even realizing that they were and now all of them just do that full time um so it's just really like it was just filled with really really interesting people really interesting passion points um, did you did you get the experience there you know when you said you got a lot of open briefs like wide open goals we don't know what to do about this do something about it the first yeah. in my experience the first time you get that because when you don't have that, you think, oh, I wish I'd just, they'd just give me an open brief. And when you get an open brief, you go, what should I do? What do they want? Yeah, I definitely, definitely from, yeah, the first, yeah, definitely from the first brief. Because Iris is brilliant, but Iris is like big 360 thinking and there's lots of different objectives you need to think about. Again, like from your big telly down to your wobblers, good old install wobblers, everything in between. There's like lots and lots to think about. And so there's lots of sort of rules around that. 
this was completely opposite thinking. There was, no, there was literally no rules, and just in terms of the agency in general as well. Um, but yeah, so you have to quickly train your brain to think in a very different way and to throw your rules out the window and, um, you know, really push boundaries. And actually, yeah, it was quite daunting, I think, at the beginning because we weren't really trained to think like that, thinking this sort of like off the moment, virally, you know, out there space. Um, but yeah, again, like brilliant. It's, you know, it's really like built myself as a creative and my uh, ex-creative partner is creative because we've all suddenly thrown in the deep end mm-hmm. um, and completely different ways of thinking. So I was there, went traveling for a bit, had a lovely time. Uh, came back, so just freelanced, uh, yeah, just to sort of tie this over. Ended up freelancing back at Iris and taking a full-time job back at Iris. Um, we basically got a couple of like, really lovely big projects. We stayed on to do those. One which was all the homes on for ads for Wix. Uh, so all the sponsorship for that. And another one was a, a big global fruit shoot campaign. Um and then when those campaigns finished, the CEO of uh, Iris basically asked if I wanted to be co-founder of the Elephant Room. Oh, wow. And I so went and did that. Amazing. So, yeah. And, then, and that was uh, like, what, 2017? Yeah, 2017, which I can't believe that was four years ago. Daft, isn't it? No. It's got it's really, really quick. And then, yeah, here we are today after like a pandemic and everything else has happened, but... Um, you know, I genuinely really think that my experience so far, um, the types of agencies I've been working at exposure, sort of when I was freelancing after the Elephant Room, and Don't Panic, both like absolutely brilliant agencies, um, has really given the foundations for the next stage of Atomic. So very excited for that. Are you going to be trying to do more of those mad off the wall ideas that you were describing um, from the uh, uh, the WCRS agency? Yeah, I think I think it's a balance. I, do, um, I don't think we're trying to be like a, a viral agency, but I think it is about coming up with like best in class creative, best in class thinking, and brand building for a cross channel platform. So. It's bringing that bit of spark and energy for all the different touch points. Yeah. So one thing I wanted to pick up on uh, just before was, and I, I've not always, I've not always asked about this. Mostly, I don't know. There's no, there's no great reason, but obviously, at some point, everyone's in a creative partnership, and you sounded like you were in quite a close one. Uh, what happens at the moment when you have to, you know, end it? And I'm assuming it ended amicably, and I'm not opening a can of worms. But <laughs> yeah, what's that? What's that like? Yeah, I think we were really lucky, actually. Um, so I mentioned about going travelling. So my creative partner came travelling as well. And actually, she met uh, her now husband on a bus in Rio when we were travelling. And um, yeah, I know, what are the chances? But yeah, when um, I got asked to do the Elephant Room, co-found the Elephant Room, her and her now husband were actually in talks around just getting out of the industry in general. So she actually moved back to the Lake District and now has an amazing wedding venue um, and B&B. And yeah, it's absolutely stunning. Um, and they've done well, such I a good bet job. that's in very high demand at the moment. Yeah, it, yeah, it is. It is. They've, you know, they've done such a good job on it. 
So we were quite lucky that I think it's sort of both naturally, you know, these sort of opportunities came up for both of us to, you know, do our own things. And we didn't have that thing where one person was left behind. Um, but yeah, I think it is difficult for teams, especially when you've been creative partners for so long, you get in your rhythm and ways of working. And, you know, I know when I first started working with Outfram, so she was always a copywriter. I was always art director. So she sort of did the bulk of the writing and the decks. And then all of a sudden it's like, oh, I've got to do the bulk of the writing and the decks. But you just have to, again, like everything, you just have to adapt. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's sort of accept that it takes a bit of time. And um, yeah, it's not going to be like overnight and it's not always the easiest, but you just adapt with it. But yeah, I definitely do feel sorry for teams when it's a messy divorce because nobody wants that. No, no. But I mean, I've not heard of too many, but maybe that's because they keep it private. <laughs> if so, but, yeah. There's lawsuits that say not allowed to talk about it. There's plenty of that going on. So, um, so you, uh, you wanted to talk uh, briefly, I, I seem to remember, about the future of the industry. And I know we've covered a bit of that. And obviously the future is so hard to predict now because... Um, I think it speeds up even faster than we expect. So if there had been no pandemic, we probably wouldn't be talking on Zoom right now and there may not even be a podcast. Um, so what do you see? I suppose Zoom might be a good place to pick up. Do you, do you think there's going to be a lot more of this and a lot less of the, like, I'm not complaining about London because I'm, you know, it probably eventually going to be there, but a lot less of the, well, we need to use places that are just a walk away from the Soho agency. Yeah, definitely. I mean, um, that's something that I've been trying to do for the past four years anyway. It's sort of, I mean, I'm not, well, I'm not trying to boycott Soho. Uh, by some any great means. people there. Yeah, exactly. There's great production companies. But again, it's about trying to find talent from all over the country and suppliers and production houses and um, creative partners, right, from all over. So I think that is definitely a big shift. And as you said, like, the pandemic has proven that that can happen and technology is amazing and we can have these conversations don't always have to be face-to-face. I think there definitely is time and place for, you know, in-person interaction and it would be a shame if we were all just at home the whole time and never uh, met people or did anything. But again, I think it's just about getting balance, isn't it? I think this pandemic has made things a bit fairer for people and it's sort of, you know, equaled the playing field a little bit. You know, as a mum, so I've got a two-year-old, like I've really found that actually this pandemic has been a game changer. I'm not sure that in a previous situation I'd be able to do a five-day working week if I was commuting into London five days a week. So I think, you know, for working mums in particular, I think, you know, that, that's been a, a big development that, there's a bit more flexibility. Okay, you can work from home a couple of days. You can do that. We know you can leave early and uh, pick up your kids and do stuff in the evening. And I feel like there's just a bit more trust and respect overall with people's time. Um, and as long as people are delivering, I, I personally don't care where anyone is. Yeah. As long as people are delivering and uh, doing a good job and nice to work with, it doesn't really matter, does it? How, how are you guys finding it? Well, we've been, yes, we've we've had a lot more contact with more of the industry, more of the London industry than ever before because of this. Because I can't remember who it was. It was someone on Having a Gas said there's now the same distance between Soho and Salford uh, because of Zoom. It's it's uh, yeah. equivalent. Yeah. So 
Yeah, we have found that. And um, we, we're busier than ever before because, you know, previously in order to go and collect new business, you know, Gary, the founder, and I, we would have to get a train sort of, we'd have a fortnightly train down to London and you spend however much every time and, you know, you get there at sort of 5.30 in the morning to make sure you get there at the start of the working day. You run around London for 12 hours, get the train back. And it's like, that's that was the only way to get the contact. Whereas now it's as easy as, I could, I'm not, but I could be in my, my own home right now. And um, I think hopefully we're going to save on, I'm not saying this to sound preachy, but I'm hoping we're going to save on emissions because we're not having to drive and train everywhere around and fly around all over the place. And I don't know, maybe there's a place for the phone and there's a place for face-to-face. But this is a new thing. This was never an option before where it's like the phone, but we can see each other. We can see if we're trustworthy or not. Although with the sort of deep fake technology, there's only a matter of time till, you know, I could just probably look and sound like you talking to yourself. So <laughs> That is very true. And obviously the beauty is that, you know, I could just be having leggings on underneath my work meeting. <laughs> Anchorman, yeah. <laughs> exactly, exactly. Yeah, I, th- I think it's an amazing thing. Obviously, the pandemic's been like really, really hard for lots and lots of people. Um, but yeah, there's definitely benefits in there to take from it. So I think yeah. I think the thing is like always, you know, I'm quite conscious with, you know, this new team that, um, you know, within the agency as well, is that making sure that it does work for everyone because there's definitely people who sort of got left behind a bit in the pandemic and working from home hasn't, Works for them so just but again I think that's how you um how you just you know create those little moments to have check-ins with those people and still try and create a team spirit online and um because that and that's I think initially a bit harder to still get culture through zoom so yes. it's like how, how do you do those things and uh find those windows of time and again like those moments for face-to-face that try and get the right balance really I do know what you mean. There is still a distinct, there's still a clear and like, what would you call it? There's there's a clear difference between this and if we were in the room talking to each other. There's uh, not an awkwardness per se, but there's a hesitancy when, you know, we're trying to make sure we're not talking over each other. There might be a bit of a time lag. So you might be hearing me say this three seconds after I've said it. So you're trying not to jump in too soon or too late and vice versa. So there's still a bit of distance to cover. Yeah, absolutely. But, um, yeah, I'm here for it. I think it's yeah. good. I mean, have you used a VR headset yet? Uh, I mean, I have used a VR headset, but the one that I probably used, again, was like six, seven years ago. So I imagine that's quite quite different, really. In, I mean, it, I, I'd recommend getting one of those because it's frightening. So one of my friends is, um, you know, a very techie kind of PhD guy. So he got one as you know, soon as. And... Um, I was over his the other day and we, you know, I was playing sort of what are basically modern video games, modern video games, VR video games. And I was like, oh, as soon as we solve the space problem, as in, you know, I'm in a, a room of a certain size, this is going to go somewhere that we can't currently foresee. But I could be sat in the room with you right now instead of through this kind of, you know, 28-inch screen. Terrifying. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> so, um, okay. I mean, that seems uh, that seems perhaps a good place to um, to wrap up for now. Uh, I don't know if there's anything else you are, you know want to mention that's exciting about the near future. Uh, so I'll, I'll you know give you a give you an open brief right now. 
No, I think uh, I really appreciate you taking the time and, um, you know, it's really lovely to catch up and have a chance to sort of talk about everything that's going to, you know, going to happen in the next few months for us as well. And I think just to say, like, watch the space with Atomic. I think some exciting stuff happening. And, um, yeah, as I said at the beginning, genuinely, like, really excited for what's to come. I think we all are. So, uh, well, I hope we all are. Fingers crossed. So, yeah. 